Hello, welcome to Two Teachers on a Train. This is Shira Lowenstein and... This is Melanie Eisen, and we have a very special guest. Shira, would you like to introduce our special guest? Sure. Our special guest with us today is Yehuda Potok, and he is the head of school at the Stryer Hebrew Academy in Sharon, Massachusetts. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. And he's also... Oh, he happens to be my husband, but that's just an aside. You're right. That's not so important today. Um <laughs> Uh, Yehuda, welcome to Two Teachers on the Train um, and to our wide listening uh, audience. Yeah, so this week we actually haven't podcasted in a while, but it got beautiful outside. And this week we decided we were going to talk about learning outside the classroom, the physical space of the classroom, and how we can help children to get get out into the outdoors. And so we brought Yehuda here because he, at his school in here in Sharon, um, has a lot of opportunities for kids to learn outside. So that's where we, that's why we brought him in. Um, and yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we head into that, Melanie, what are you reading? Shira, my cup runneth over with books that I have in my stack. I have two stacks of books, books for beach reading in the summertime and books for reading because I am a professional. So we're going to set aside the books I'm reading for the beach and I will rate them when I get back from my vacation sometime in August. But for now, I'll focus on the two books that I'm reading for work that are amazing. One is called The Innovator's Mindset and it's written by George Kuros. Um, If you're not familiar with George Kuros, he also has a blog. I believe it's also called The Innovator's Mindset and it's really amazing. He has a great an inspirational TED Talk. He speaks Canadian, though. So for those of you in our wide listening audience who don't speak Canadian, you know, you got to switch it on when you turn on his podcast or listen to any of his recordings because he speaks very uh, serious Canadian, which means he says words like process and (laughs) dollar and um, uses terms like skipping rope and not jump rope. Yeah. Um, and it's an Melanie, amazing you talk about you talk like that as well. I do because I speak Canadian too. So I give lessons if you need them. Um, the other book that I'm reading is a book called The Feedback Fix, which is written by a colleague of ours named Rabbi Joe Hirsch. And it is about giving feedback. Um, and it's also quite good. It's his first book out. So um, I strongly recommend both. Um, and The Innovator's Mindset, Anything by George Kuros. Um, I think actually his blog is called The Principle of Change. Um, and it's well worth subscribing to. His blog posts are short and sweet and oftentimes connect you to other educators and connect to other bloggers. Um, in the blogosphere. How about you, Shira? What are you reading? So I'm really not reading anything for work at the moment because I'm just not. But I am reading The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloot. And um, I hope that's how you pronounce her name. And it's fascinating. It's about um, these cells, the HeLa cells, and how they have been living since the 50s outside of this woman named Henrietta Lacks. Um, and it was the reason I'm reading it is because it was all over the news. They, there was like an HBO series about it and I had so never it heard of it. It was one shot deal and it was, uh, uh, created by Oprah Winfrey. It was on HBO a few weeks ago and I watched it. Yeah. So I did not watch it, but, um, I'm reading the book and it's fascinating and really interesting, but also dense. So, I think that counts as like semi-work reading because it's not like light reading. 
No, I would venture to say that is not light reading. Um, I, I don't know what the book is like. Um, the, the, the TV movie was uh, disappointing. And yet there are other podcasts, not quite rivals of ours. <laughs> I believe I know for sure there was a Radio Lab um, uh, podcast recently in which, right before the movie came out to the general public, they the two um, guys that ran that podcast had previewed it, and then they had Rebecca Sploot on to talk about her experience. Right, I, I also listened to that. Um, Yehuda, what are you reading these days? So I'm actually in the middle of uh, Benjamin Franklin, Art of Power. And um, I find it, it's just interesting because it, it really goes into the history of Benjamin Franklin and kind of what turned him into the leader that he was. And often in education, I'm constantly thinking about what is it that we can do for our students? How can we build in experiences in for our students that can help them eventually grow to become either leaders or uh, especially engaged members of community? So that's what I'm reading currently. Light reading in the Potok household, oh, I see. <laughs> Um, all right. So Melanie, it is beautiful outside. And finally, after many months of not being beautiful here in New England, and we are thinking about bringing children outside and learning outside. But I, I know the truth is in New England and all over the country, I'm sure children are outside all the time. Um, and they're learning not only within the four walls of the school, but also in the yards and in the fields and the forest that's around our schools. And there is a lot of research that says that this is where children should be. Um, it's, it's healthy for them to physically be outside, and, and they learn a lot differently when they're in the outdoor spaces. So we brought Yehuda here because um, he does this really well in his school, and I would love to hear from Yehuda. What, what do you do at, here at Steyer Hebrew Academy uh, that promotes this outdoor learning? So, I mean, one of the things when you think of New England schools during the wintertime, you kind of imagine everyone just shutting down and shutting in and, and disappearing for a few months. Um, but as a school, we, we really strongly encourage uh, all of our students to be outside throughout the entire year. Uh, and it's rare. It's on rare occasion, you know, if the wind chills are extremely low, um, that we would ever keep the kids indoors. We want them getting outside. Um, there's a, this amazing uh, piece to nature and the creativity that comes out of kids as they're able to explore the outdoors. Uh, stuff which they don't always have the opportunity to do. They can do it in the classroom, but very differently. And just the, the manipulation of natural materials uh, can be very powerful for kids to be able to create with. Um, that's so interesting. And, and earlier this year, I remember, actually, I, I helped chaperone a trip where the kids actually went to our local lake and they were davening outside. They We had a mincha experience outdoors. And what was that like? What are the kids' reactions, you know, Davening inside versus davening outdoors. Right. So we, we try to have lots of opportunities for kids in those kinds of contexts, especially the spiritual context. Um, there are a few times a year where we'll take them outside into a field or by a lake or into the forest and just give them the opportunity to, to pray in that space and to really feel the, the God's world as opposed to being in, in a room. Um, and the kids, it, it transforms their tefillah because very often when you're sitting inside of a shul or in a Beit Midrash, like it's something they do every single day, the same exact way, uh, at the same time every day. And they, you know, they get either get bored or they talk. And then all of a sudden you take them outside and you spread them out and give them their own space. They're so invested. They're, they don't, they're not talking. They're, 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 they stand. Some of these kids will daven longer in the time outdoors than they would ever spend inside davening. 
Um, and it's, it's amazing to see them just living in that world and experiencing it while they're davening. And after the tefillot, we often will kind of come back together and talk about the experience. Like, what did they hear? What were they thinking about? Um, and it's very powerful to, to, to really realize that when you can give that experience to, the, to these kids, um, that it really does impact them. It really does kind of get, broaden their understanding of the relationship between them and themselves and God. Yeah, I also think it creates common experiences, right? That other that you know that's special to them because of the environment that they're that they're able to learn in, right? That that becomes a part of what it is to be a student at that particular school. I know um, this morning I was at Gushar Jewish Day School here in Virginia, and we that school is blessed to be on twenty seven acres of land, just. Uh, just the, as far as basically as far as the eye can see, it belongs to Gesher. And we have had the school has had Eagle Scouts do projects on the property, and we have a variety of um, of environments, natural environments, you know, forest, vernal pond, all kinds of environments, a, a butterfly garden that have, we've been able to um, assign to different grade levels. So each grade level is responsible for a different part of the acreage that Gesher stands on, and there are paths in there, and they use the trees and just really being able to um, go with a season of tefillah both inside and outside, right? Just as you said, when they are able to see the rhythm of nature as being part of the rhythm of their tefillah and really be a part of it, it creates a shared experience that they build on and talk about. And I remember my students, even in the guide, would say to me, no matter what the weather was, Raining was not my favorite, but most other kinds of weather, they would say, can we go outside to do our tefillot? And it was really hard to say no. It was basically right outside the classroom door. But not only that, they were looking to daven in a way that made them connect with each other and connect with God in a different way than if we were in the Beit Midrash or sitting in our classroom. Right. So that's amazing. And, and I think that we, you know, we don't have as expansive a campus, but we definitely live in a town that has a lot of nature in it, um, uh, very open um, with lakes and forests. Um, we tie, you know, our holiday curriculum, we would take the kids down to the lake and talk about, uh, the water cycle, but also how it ties into Sukkot and the rain cycle and how all those things fit together. But we don't have as large a campus, but at the same time, I did want things closer to home. And so as we've been exploring ways of really expanding our program, uh, we've been focused on the outside and we just built this wonderful outdoor space, uh, both a playground, but now also, uh, we've been building a garden in the back, a very large garden that's going to be used to help kids understand not only um, you know growing and growing plants and sustainability, uh, and, but also tied into giving staka, what it means to bring things to food pantries for people who don't have food, uh, hunger and homelessness, those types of issues. I think all these tie-ins are very powerful when the kids can really get their hands around this stuff and do this stuff, as opposed to just sitting back and learning about it from a book. Um, exactly. And- I think that there was nothing better than when I sent my students home at the end of the day and there was dirt under their fingernails, right? Yeah, yeah. But that would, and their faces were kind of part sweaty and part filthy from the fact that they wiped their faces while they were sweating and working in the dirt, right? And that they can truly, um, especially even if you're studying vocabulary, studying the holidays, whatever it is, you can tie it to the outside, you know? And, and some of the articles that I read preparing for our conversation today, it wasn't just about the fact that maybe you're on like Gesher's lucky enough to be on all that acreage or that you live in a town that has all of these possibilities. It means sometimes going the extra mile to figure out what are the resources that are around me, right? Like maybe it requires bringing somebody into class that brings bats of dirt, right? I've been in schools that are in the middle of the city where that's what they have to do in order to get the kids to experience what it is. Or exploring sort of your urban jungle, if you will, or your urban neighborhood to be able to be outside and experience what it is to be outside. But the first step really um, is 
what is available to you. Not every school is going to be able to build that right outside or next door or, you know, half a mile away that you can walk to, but what is available, what nature centers exist in your area. Um, I know here in Fairfax County where we live, we're very lucky to have extensive um, parks and, and areas that are free to residents to go to and picnic in. And But it just requires you taking that extra step of saying, it's important for me that my students interact with the natural world. How am I going to do that within the environment and constraints that I have? Right. But I think also, I think there's like even one step further. There was an article I read um, in Psychology Today. Um, the article was um, Why Sticks Are Good for Kids. And it kind of points out the fact that it's not just that we don't get our kids out enough into the outdoors. It goes one step further and we almost vilify the outdoors. That to some degree, we're, like, we, we make the natural world a bad thing. Like picking up a stick and, and being creative with a stick becomes this bad thing. And so on so many levels, we have to bring that natural world, I think, back into these kids' lives to be able to explore and be creative with it. Right. Right. There, there is actually a TED Talk. Um, it's called Get Hooked on Nature by Ben Klasky, I think. Uh, and he talks about taking uh, kids from urban areas and introducing them to the, outdoor, the outside world and, and how they almost need to be brought back into that into that world because it's not part of our, our lives. And I think the idea of, um, you know, going on a hike, you have to like prepare to go on a hike. It's not like, let's just walk outside and go on a hike. And, and that's unfortunate for, for our children. And as much as we can build that into their school day and, you know, as part of school, we're the ones who get them dirty and we're the ones who, who allow them, uh, to, to become comfortable with the outside world, then they can, as they grow up, own this a little bit more. I think they crave it, right? Like, I don't know um, if this was popular in your neck of the woods, but I think it was last year, wasn't it, when they did all that Pokemon Go, right, where kids would walk around with their device exploring the outside world looking for um, hidden Pokemon that only showed up on their phones, right? But what did it do? It got the kids outside. Okay, so they were looking at their device. Not exactly what we would hope for in terms of outside play, but it's clear that something that seems so mindless was you know, the kids craved it. They were outside. I know even my kids and they're so much older than probably Pokemon Go was meant to attract, but it got them outside. And so you always think like whenever you say outside to a park, to a field, to a pond, kids' eyes light up. That's where they're meant to be. And I think sometimes we have to stress to teachers and schools and, and school leaders that it's important for us to tap into these things with the kids. It's important for us to reach out to the kids and have their learning transfer to all of their senses and not just sitting at a desk or even working in a group of some kind, but really how can we incorporate everything that's around them to create a total learning environment? So no matter what they do and where they go, the possibilities of learning and making connections between what they might have studied in class to what's going on outside become that much more facilitated. Right. I, I totally agree. Um, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, there is a, a book which I have not read, but I read an interview with um, the author. And she it, the book is called Balanced and Barefoot. Um, and the, the same author by Angela Hanscombe. And she also wrote uh, the, I think it's called The Last Child in the Woods, or The Lost Child in the Woods. And, and she actually talks about the, the physical OT benefits of, of being outside and how you know, physically these children need to be outside. So we started, we kind of started with the spiritual and now we're talking about like the practical, how it, how it brings 
you know, energy back into them. But there's also this physical piece as well uh, that that students are, you know, they're finding um, a lack of of dexterity and balance in kids, physical balance, kids who aren't outside. And so bringing that um, from from an occupational therapy perspective back into children's lives, it, it really can help with, you know, the, the whole idea of having children sit still. We, we've actually on this podcast talked a lot about, you know, the way you structure your classroom and how, how children are physically acting or are being in the class. But I think uh, a lot of times if you let them go outside for 20 minutes, they are able to physically focus when they come back into the classroom as well. So you know, I have a question now that you're sort of building, this is the vision to build more of an outside classroom that would be available to your, to your teachers and to your kids. What has been sort of the buy-in on the part of the teachers in terms of, and how do you foresee this becoming part of the kids' schedule? Right. So that's always the tricky part, right? Because and not to stereotype, but adults, I think over, you know, as we grow up, we tend, many of us tend to become less comfortable with the outdoors because, you know, with seasons and cold and wet and all that stuff, we're just not as, uh, we seem to react differently than, than kids are able to handle when they're younger. Um, and so for adults, it can be challenging to, you know, be out there in the cold more so than sometimes the kids can handle. And, uh, but at, at the same time, I think that, that my staff definitely recognize the benefits to having the kids get out there um, and have a larger space to roam around and the different types of things that kids can access that they might not have the ability to do inside of a classroom. Look, I, in, in uh, the Scandinavian countries, there's a, this is, there's a whole movement out there of outdoor classrooms where they don't even have buildings. Like the, the entire day literally is like you get to your school and the entire day is, is spent outdoors. Um, and, and, you know, they've, at least from their research, they seem to suggest that there's a lot of benefits to that with regards to enabling children to develop at an appropriate pace for, for, you know, as a child and not being rushed into a classroom behind a desk and sitting there behind textbooks. Um, and I think that we're, in my school, we're trying to incorporate a piece of that, of really trying to build that into the curriculum of connecting the, the, you know, the real natural part of the world, both spiritually, but also, you know, academically and having the kids really get their hands on stuff. We're, we're in the process of building an outdoor science lab, um, which again, will enable kids not just to be able to look at a leaf under a microscope inside, but like get outside and, you know, get that leaf and find the leaf and bring it to a, you know, to a workbench and kind of dissect it and yes, look under a microscope, but, um, be able to do it in the place where the leaf belongs in context. Great. Fantastic. Um, you know, um, I know that you all were big camp people and my family's also into very much into camp and, and sending our kids off to experience sort of the outside world outside of the four walls. And it's always so hard when you see kids dragged into school every day where they don't get to get some time outside. And I think that once teachers sort of see the benefit of what it can lead to in terms of curiosity and investigations and taking what they've learned on the inside and moving into the outside, the, the, the cell becomes an easier, an easier cell. And kids start to once again, connect with what it was when we were younger to go outside and be outside for hours on end, only to be called in by, you know, mom at what, when it was getting dark, right? What were the, the fond memories that we were able to develop both as parents and as early as kids um, in being outside and how can we transfer that into the learning so that kids don't always differ, have to differentiate between, oh, if I'm learning, then I must be sitting at a desk or at a chair or, you know, with artificial light, but bringing the outside into their daily lives. So important, so crucial. So, uh, so to balance this, the, uh, the outdoor forest kindergarten idea, um, or not, and I wouldn't say to balance, but to bring a piece of the forest kindergarten uh, into my classroom, something that 
that I did once upon a time was um, I met up with a a forager and uh, my kids were learning about Native Americans and we were looking at like the local Native American tribes. And so I found a a man who, who forages almost all of his food and he took us on a tour of our own environment. We actually went on a pretty local hike and he showed us like what you could eat and how you could cook it and uh, explained to the kids how he tries to forage all of his food. And for the kids to to not only see this is how Native Americans uh, used to live, but this is how you, you can live today was really eye-opening for them. Um, and Till this day, we I have a son who walks around and he he eats, he chews on pine needles because apparently there's a lot of vitamin C in pine needles, which is what he learned. Um, and so that that idea of bringing bringing that into the everyday, so that like every time he walks by a pine tree, he can tell this is the kind that I can eat, and he can pick it off and chew it, and and have that awareness and that connection to the to the plant. And that um, fresh breath too. Sure. <laughs> Piney fresh breath. Um, and, and the other, the other, the other movement that I kind of want to talk about the the anecdote was the uh, adventure playgrounds, uh, which are there are a few well established around the country, and there's some more popping up at all the time. Um, and the concept behind the adventure playground is it's basically a scrapyard that kids get to build the playground. Um, the first one we ever walked into, our son was what two and a half. Maybe yeah. he was two and a half and, and he walked in and someone handed him a, a saw. And I, and I was like, uh, how about a hammer? Because the kids are literally building. And we, we walked into, um, we walked into there and kids are doing everything. They're building the structures, they're painting. They had this big pile of sand that they created and they made a zip line and the kid, like kids were just like crashing into the pile of sand. Um, and the, they were, they were really, they, and every time you go to the adventure playground, it's a different playground because kids, part of the adventure is building it each time. Um, and so this concept of creating those spaces for kids that, you know, they do amazing things in when we give them the resources and we give them the freedom to be outside and to be by themselves. I think, I think an aspect we haven't talked about is also like, I think part of this is that, um, parents being able to let go, right. Or teachers being able to let go. Like, I think there is a difference between, letting your kid go outside and roam around. Like, again, as you said, when we were kids, I would go out into my neighborhood and roam around and come back at a, by a certain time. And that was just what we all did. All the kids were out in the streets in the neighborhood, right, kind of riding their bikes, going to the playground by themselves. And there's, there just seems to be a lot more control or need for control by parents today. And like, you know, that helicopter parent type thing. Um, and I have to, personally, I often have to fight that urge myself of like being able to let go and let my kid my own ch- children do what they want to do and can do and are capable of and learning their limits. Um, and I really try to do that for my students as well, but it's tough when you have pa- parent, a parent population within your school. that's like, wait a minute, wait, they were outside and this happened. Like where was the teacher intervention? Where were the teachers on the, on the playground? Like where, why, why didn't they intervene and do something about that? And so I think that, you know, it's, it's really important for us to think about that when we send them out into these natural environments, part of it is for the adults to be able to let go. Agreed 100%. And um, sort of my anecdote was um, similarly to when um, I was so, uh, our older son, Ben, is now 19. But um, when I, when, you know, 20 years ago, my husband and I lived in a townhouse and we, it was, we had like a little lake in the backyard. It was really lovely. And we went for a walk and he looked at me and he was like, 
you know, I'm, I'm nervous about being a dad. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I totally understand that. And I said, but what is, you know, what is something that you think about with it? And he said, well, I'm worried that, you know, we won't find things to do together. And as we were walking, there was another, there was a father with his little kid, little boy or girl, I don't remember which one. And all they were doing was throwing rocks into the water. Like literally that's what they were doing. And you could see they had been doing it for a while. And that probably the child would be there till it got dark throwing rocks into the water. Right. And I looked at John, I looked at my husband and I said, look how entertained he is by throwing rocks into the water. And sometimes we think that these plans have to be so massive with huge goals and huge agendas when our kids would just be happy just exploring what it is to throw rocks into water and watching the ripples. And can you make the rock skip? And will the rock sink faster if it looks like this, if it's flatter? And just all the questions that just being outside with water and rocks helps kids to do, right? So great. We don't want them throwing the rocks at each other. But I often find that when we put kids in these kinds of situations, they don't go to let's throw rocks at each other. They go to how far away can you stand to make the rock reach that puddle of water, right? And so they start to experiment and ask questions that they won't be asking inside. And when there are times they can't be outside, they bring those experiences into the classroom. Uh, so for our Northern Hemisphere listeners, this is a great time to start exploring the outdoors because it is so beautiful and it's so enticing even for us adults. Um, but I think that our challenge to you and our challenge to ourselves is to keep up that enthusiasm as the seasons change and as the year progresses when we are feeling pressures from so many other places and so many other uh, environments to, you know, it's really warm inside. I don't have to wear my coat, but um really to to suspend our own needs for a minute and think about what it means for our children to be outdoors. Yeah. So so with that we're going to sign off and um thank you all for listening and we will see you next time. Hold on before we go thank you. I'm going to oh, thank your Yehuda okay. because you forgot he was sitting right next to you. So Yehuda, thank you so much. What um you just going to do is if you go our um our our website person, Donna Bensamic, Mazaltov had a baby the other day, so she's off for a little while taking care of her family. Um, so to look for the show notes now um, and photographs of both Yehuda's space and Gesher's space and some other things I kind of threw up there having to do with this topic, go onto the prisma.org site, look under blogs, and go to me. Go to Melanie Eisen's page, and you'll see a tab for Two Teachers on a Train, and that's where we'll upload photographs and resources that you heard about today. Thanks for having me. Sure. Yes, thank you very much. Have a great day, people. Bye.